0: Welcome back to another episode of Rammyumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called Is the Plan of Salvation Fair? Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. The subject for today is one that I've been thinking about for quite a while. So let me apologize right off the bat. I do have a bit of a cold and my voice is, um, is a little bit strained right now. So if it sounds a little different, a little groggy, that is why. And I will do my best to edit out all of my coughing and the clearing of my throat. So a few weeks ago, I brought Bill Reel on to discuss the subject of free will and agency. One of the reasons I wanted to have that discussion was yes, I was interested in the discussion because of the chat that he and Kara had on their show, but also I needed to build a little bit of understanding the building blocks to have the discussion that I want to have today and potentially next week, depending on how far into these concepts that I get right now. So the subject that I want to cover today is about the idea of free will as it pertains to judgment. And specifically, I want to examine the idea of Laban and the story of Nephi and Laban, and then what a judgment of Laban might look like in the afterlife when he is standing before Jesus before Jesus and God to be judged of his actions in this life. One of the complaints against the Book of Mormon is the fact that all of the characters, with only a few exceptions, are flat characters. They are good or bad, and they do not change from one camp to the other. There's no um, character arcs or mistakes that the heroes make, like you would see in regular stories, or even the Old Testament and New Testament. As I said, the, the exception to this would be Alma the Younger. At any rate, the reason I'm saying this is, is uh, to set up this Laban character. He is presented as, as this evil ruler who is denying Nephi and his brothers access to the scriptures. As a quick recap for their story, Nephi and his brothers approached Laban on a couple of different occasions, asking him for the Bible, which didn't exist at the time, as we have it today, which is you know one of the anachronisms from the uh, Book of Mormon. What he would have had if this if this were real or if this thing took place is Laban would probably have had a collection of scrolls. Maybe not everything that we have in our scriptures in the Old Testament today, but uh, a character such as that would have had some sort of collection of of some of the scrolls. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So they approach Laban asking for the Old Testament, and he refuses them on a number of occasions where it finally comes to where... Nephi's older brothers, they decide that it's not worth it. They're going to they're gonna stop going. An angelic visitor that saves him from his brothers and encourages him to go to the city. Nephi doesn't know what he's going to find in the city. But then he goes in and he sees Laban drunk and laying in the streets. And the spirit tells Nephi to kill Laban. There's a, a really important scripture that I want to read and this is in first nephi 4 verse 13 and it says behold the lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes it is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief i think i've said it before and uh but the Code of ethics or the morality presented in the Book of Mormon is very utilitarian. That's kind of this concept that you're seeing right here, where the good of the group is prioritized over the good of the individual, and right and wrong are dictated by whatever action brings about the most good for the organization. But there's a flaw with this thinking, there's a flaw with this form of judgment that I want to present today and discuss. A couple of aspects of it the idea if this story is true if laban did exist if god did command nephi to kill him where where was laban's agency did he have any agency or was it taken away from him by god now this problem isn't uh restricted to just laban any time in the scriptures where you have a scenario where God has either killed or commanded to be killed any people, this, this dilemma of agency comes up, but it's easier to describe it on an individual basis. And so I think the story of Laban fits nicely for this discussion. According to LDS theology, agency or this this moral agency to choose between right and wrong was the debate in the council in heaven, the Satan's plan or Lucifer's plan. um, Just as a side note, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I'm presenting it um, as a form for the discussion. Agency was the central issue in this council in heaven, according to the theology. Lucifer's plan was designed to remove the ability to choose from anyone and With that removal, everyone was guaranteed to return to live with God in the end. On the flip side, the plan that God presented and that Jesus stood by, stood by to be the savior of, of the world. The plan was to offer everyone moral agency, and those that used their moral agency to choose good would return to live with Heavenly Father in the end. Sorry, my voice is shot this week, so I apologize for the way this sounds. And so you have important scriptures such as 2 Nephi 2.27, where they describe this this concept of moral agency. It says, Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are, are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men. Or to choose captivity and death, according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. This concept of moral agency or moral freedom to act and make good or bad decisions is central to the plan of salvation. So, what is the problem when God commands a righteous person to kill an unrighteous person? In the story of Nephi and Laban, Nephi is commanded to kill Laban because it will, it will allow them to bring the scriptures with them on their journey and to teach their children about God. What about Laban? Let's imagine that Laban is standing before God to be judged of all of his actions. And in this judgment, Laban asks a simple question. And this question throws everything into chaos. God judges Laban to be evil and sentences him to the celestial kingdom or, or whichever one you think that he might go to. But Laban asks, how do you know that I wasn't going to change my mind and become a good person later on in my life? You killed me before I had the chance to make that choice. What kind of a response might God have to something like that? Think about it for a minute. I don't pretend to put words in the mouth of God, but I can think of a few things that he might say or that might come up in the defense of agency and in the defense of killing the wicked. God could say something along the lines of, I knew that you were not going to make restitution and repent and become worthy. I knew that you never would. So having Nephi kill you brought about more good than letting you live out your life in wickedness. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that line of reasoning. This, this sort of a, a, a line of reasoning implies that God knows the decisions and the choices that we'll make before we make them. And that fits right in line with the deterministic reality that we live in that, the Bill, <clears throat> that Bill Real and I chatted about a couple weeks ago. But that has some serious implications with the things that God would be okay with letting happen. Anyway, but that's, I'm sorry, I'm getting trite sidetracked. That wasn't what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so here Laban is standing before God, being judged for actions that he did not do. If God knew that he would never make any changes, repent, or become a good person, then God was judging him for actions that he did not commit. And saying that the rest of his life had less value than giving the scriptures to the Nephites and the Lamanites. So does God know our actions and and decisions before we make them? Because that has some real serious implications on the plan of salvation. It's necessary for us to learn and grow, but he already knows that the majority of us won't make it back. So he created a plan that does not save very many people. In fact, it's almost, to me, feels like the opposite of Satan's plan. If he's, going to, if he's going to take the lives of his children, command some of his children to kill other children, then he is taking away their agency and condemning them to hell or outer darkness or the celestial kingdom. Whereas Lucifer's plan was to take away agency so that people could make it back to heaven. Regardless of whether God knows the actions that Laban's going to make or not, he's taking away Laban's ability to choose and Laban's ability to repent and writing him off. And to me, that does not seem fair. What would you say if you knew that God ended your time before you had the the chance to make restitutions for your mistakes? What would you tell him if you knew that he ended your life early? or commanded your life to end early. And can you reconcile that in a way that makes this a fair system for everyone? The complaint I have with a, a utilitarian morality is that is precisely this aspect that we're touching on. It ignores the individual and the individual circumstances. Sure, maybe Laban was a really bad guy, and maybe he never was going to repent. Isn't, according to the theology, that the purpose of this life, that we live out our days and we make choices and we live with those consequences. So if God intervenes and removes someone's ability to make choices, where was the agency? Where was the moral agency for Laban for the rest of his life? It was cut short. You could go through, the countless stories of genocide in the Old Testament, and ask the exact same questions. Just because the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, does that mean that they were going to be wicked for the rest of their lives? Does that mean their children and their children's children were going to be wicked for the rest of their lives? But God killed them all and removed their ability to make moral choices and in effect condemned them in their sins without offering them the chance to make changes and to become better people. Now we can complicate this idea even further by incorporating some of the things that Bill and I discussed. How can we be judged for our actions when the majority of our impulses and when our desires are not chosen by us? Where our knowledge and our understanding of the world, the way we think and believe, is not chosen by us the way that we think it is. If I have an inclination to lie or cheat or steal, I didn't choose to feel that way, but I'm going to be judged for the actions that I didn't choose in the first place. This is a concept that that a theist has to grapple with in order to reconcile this idea of agency. And it's a lot more complex and then many of us were led to believe. So if we can't be held accountable for the, our desires, do we have some measurable way to suppress our desires? And is that what we're going to be judged on? Laban didn't choose to want to keep the plates for himself. He didn't choose to be greedy. But maybe he could have suppressed those thoughts and those feelings. So we're going to be judged for desires and thoughts and actions where we had no control over the will to do them, this idea of moral agency gets really tricky when you incorporate eternal punishment or eternal reward into the mix. But let's let's take the stance that a typical theist would, which is more the libertarian view that we do have moral agency free of outside influence. That makes this situation even worse. Because if God is willing to kill someone or command someone to be murdered, which goes against his own commandments, if he can command someone to do something that is, in other situations, wicked and vile, but when God says it, it's okay, that it's suddenly not wrong, God in effect is altering this code of morals that lets someone enter heaven only for people that he approves of. Let's let's complicate this even further. Let's say that, that Laban had murdered people in his life, and he is standing to be judged. And God says, You are a murderer and you cannot enter heaven. But right following right behind him is Nephi standing to be judged. God goes through the whole story of Nephi's life, and when he comes to the murder of Laban, Laban raises his hand and he says, God, but but you condemned me to hell because I murdered people, but Nephi murdered me and he gets to go into heaven. How is that fair? The murder was okay because it it served some greater purpose? Was it okay because the celestial kingdom isn't quite as bad as the hell of the Christian world? Help me make sense of this because it does not add up. So here's where I want to end this. Because this is this is a really tricky situation. If we look at the way judgment works, you could take examples of anyone who dies before their time, gets a disease, and passes away in their prime years. Even if God, we'll say, didn't directly influence the, the end of somebody's life who dies from a disease or a car accident early, if we'll just say that that happened at random chance, still they fall into this category where their life ended early, and they didn't have the full opportunity to experience their moral agency and choose right and wrong as everyone else did. And this judgment period is not fair and even for everyone. Can you, as the listener, could you conceive of a form of judgment that would be more fair than this existence that we're living in right now? is it possible to come up with a form of of judgment more fair than the plan of salvation as it's presented and if so what implication does that have on the judeo-christian god or the mormon god i won't tell you what to think there if you can come up with a more loving way to judge a person's life than the plan of salvation. What would that look like? And what implication does that have on the plan of salvation? In cases like this one that we're talking about where someone's life was ended before their time, car accident or sickness or what have you, their ability to exercise agency was ended prematurely. And so their probationary time on earth is shorter than other people. Their ability to use this agency was less. We could say that perhaps God didn't have a hand in some of these early deaths, but we'll go, to, we'll go back to this Laban example that we were talking about. <clears throat> Again, I apologize for my voice. If God commanded Nephi to kill Laban, God took away Laban's ability to exercise his agency. God took away Laban's ability to repent and make changes. And this, to me, appears like he's going counter to his own plan, where agency and us as mortals, our use of agency is the key factor or the key thing that we are judged upon. But God is taking it away from people and commanding Nephi to take it away from people. And that doesn't seem fair in scenarios like this one, or Sodom and Gomorrah, or any other time where God has commanded someone to be murdered. If the exercise of our agency is the most important reason why we came to this earth, why does God command people to die? Why does God command people to, in in these stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, where whole cities were destroyed at God's command? or whole peoples, as the Israelites were going back into their promised land. There's some anachronisms there as well, but maybe that's a a subject for another time. Is there a way to reconcile this contradiction of the importance of agency with the fact that God is removing it from some people? Is he judging them for actions that they would have made if they stayed alive? Is he denying them the opportunity to repent? And then on the flip side, the other question that this sort of a scenario brings to mind is, if God will step in and command the righteous to murder Laban or send angels and destroy whole cities, why doesn't he do that for the countless tragedies that happen around the world and that have been happening for as long as history has been recorded? Why don't the prophets or angels step in to stop every single genocide and destroy whole peoples for their wickedness? Or how, how does God decide which scenarios to step in and affect change? How does He decide which ones to jump in and, and stop things or which ones to sit by and let happen? I don't have answers to those questions, but it's something that a theist should grapple with and consider. I have a lot more that I want to discuss on the subject of fairness in the plan of salvation. And so I think I'm going to end this episode here and um, save the next part of this discussion for another time. The glaring flaw that I see in the plan of salvation is that it it is not fair for every single person. It is not a standardized test, if you will, and that is precisely the subject that I want to cover next week or the week after, depending on um, how some things shake down this week. I have an interview and, and hopefully we'll get back to the XML Book Club, part uh, two of uh, No Man Knows My History. So before I end today, I did want to talk about the movie recommendation from last week just a little bit. I mentioned the movie Everything, Everywhere, all at once, and I said that it was one of the best movies I've ever seen. I still stand by that. I do recognize that it's a bit graphic and intense and weird. So in, in relation to the episode that I posted last week, if you hadn't, haven't uh, listened to that one, then uh, this comment might not make a lot of sense. <laughs> but that's okay. The connection that I wanted to make last week that I didn't because I didn't want to go into spoilers I'll I'll go into right now, and it's going to be very light on spoilers. <clears throat> but here's your warning. So for those that uh, that want to end now, cool. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. But for those that want to stick around, then uh, then here's what I I wanted to add in to the discussion last week, but didn't. One of my favorite aspects of the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once was a scene right near the end, and this kind of encapsulated what I loved about their execution of the, the climax. There's a moment near the end where one version of Jamie Lee Curtis is pictured trying to kill Michelle Yeoh's character, but then it's juxtaposed with these other scenarios that were happening at the same time in different multiverses. One where Jamie Lee Curtis was forgiving the main character, Michelle Yeoh. And the two of them were discussing divorce and the pain and struggles that come along with with ending a marriage. Then it showed Jamie Lee Curtis as a scorned lover. And the pain that someone feels when you're experiencing heartbreak. And it was like, it was in this brief moment where the the movie accurately captured this beautiful concept that everyone is multifaceted. Everyone is sometimes the villain. Everyone is sometimes the good guy. Everyone sometimes makes mistakes. Everyone is a complex human being with dramatically different emotions and ideas in their head. And to write someone off as just this type of person or just that type of person fails to capture this complete image that humans are compl- are very complex. The way the movie proceeded from that moment onward just flipped the whole action genre on its head. And so I, I, I won't go into any more detail. So like I said, I'm trying to be light on spoilers because the movie just came out last month. But I wanted to incorporate that into the discussion from last week because we need to look at other human beings as the complex individuals that they are. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes mistaken, sometimes angry and happy and frustrated. And just because you encounter them in one scenario where they interact with you one way doesn't mean that they're not going home and feeling sad about some sort of other mistake that's going on in their life. Every single one of us is a complex person, and I just I just think that's such a beautiful concept, and it helps us have more empathy for other human beings. I just wanted to add that, and uh, also I I uh, <laughs> I wouldn't saw the movie again in theater because. I don't know. I'm a sucker for a good movie, and uh, I would easily put this one for me in uh, top five best movies of all time, in my opinion. Thank you for sticking around and listening today. I, I think the subject of morality and judgment are really complex. I think that in the scriptures, if we look at them as literal, for you know, if a theist looks at them as literal, it presents some really uncomfortable contradictions that need to be grappled with. If this is content that you enjoy, I would greatly appreciate you liking it and subscribing to it on the various podcast platforms. Leave a comment, put in a review, and share it with a friend wherever you find yourself. Sitting at work, on a walk with your dog, I hope that you have an excellent day.